Well, it's good to be back up here, and it's good to be back in Hebrews. So we're calling this Hebrews 101. I changed the name, Hebrews 101. But I uh, hope you're enjoying it so far. We're just two or three, four or five messages into Hebrews. Still trying to get a grasp on it and trying to communicate to you guys exactly what is happening uh, in this letter to the Hebrews, this group that appears as though they want to go back to their old way of life. They want to go back to Judaism, or they want to at least, uh, at least they've made themselves susceptible to drifting away from the faith. That's what we talked about last week. And of course, we know that there is no going back once you come to know Jesus. And I was thinking about a check valve. I don't know if you all know what a check valve is, but you can, you can have it in a gas line, you can have it in a sewer line, you can have it in any kind of water line, anything like that. But a, a check valve allows water or gas to go through one way, but it cannot come back the other way. That's how your basement hopefully stays dry. That's how your, you know, your plumbing keeps from running over in your house. When it storms outside and those waters come up in the streets, you know, if it wasn't for that check valve, you'd have water back in your house and it keeps anything from coming back. And that's kind of what it's like for these Hebrews. They passed a point of no return. They have heard about Jesus Christ. They've heard about salvation through him. They've heard about his sacrifice on the cross. And now because they misunderstand some things and because they're being persecuted, they think, well, we'll just go back to the old way of doing things under the law. We'll go back to the sacrificial system. And the author of the book of Hebrews is saying, you cannot do that. There's no salvation left back there for you, is essentially what he's saying. He's saying if you go back, then it's really indicative that you do not have a true faith in Jesus Christ. And so the writer of the book Hebrews, he's got a very clear message. I mean, you can encapsulate the message of the book of Hebrews in three words, Jesus is better. Not only can't you back, but you shouldn't go back because what, ahead, what is ahead of you is so much better than what was in the Old Testament times. And he started out already by saying that Jesus is a much, much better messenger than the Old Testament prophets. You know, they could speak for God, but Jesus himself was God himself. And he speaks the very words of God. And so he's better than the prophets. He's better than the mighty angels. They are messengers as well. The, the word angel actually means messenger. But he is better than them even. He is the exact imprint of God. He is the heir. He is the creator. And so why would you go to a secondary source when you go, can go to the first source, right? That's what good reporters do, which there's very few left in the world. But good reporters, they don't take anonymous tips. They go to the source that actually has the information and verifies that it's accurate information. And that's all that the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is asking them to do, is go with Jesus. He is the one who is the better messenger. Well, today we're going to be finding out that we're going to find out a lot of things in Hebrews that are so interesting. And we're going to talk about Jesus today as a foundation, that he's, he secures through his foundation our salvation, is what we're going to be finding out today. And it's just the best news in the world. Because we are not a good foundation, are we? We as fallen men and women, fallen uh, out of uh, 
perfection like Adam and Eve were perfect, but we are with sin. We are not a good, good foundation. And so we need someone to come and be a foundation for us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, today's scripture, as we read it, you'll see uh, why maybe I ask you to read ahead a little bit. It's, it's a little bit long for today. It's a little bit uh, harder to understand. But hopefully by the end of this, we'll have a, a really simple idea of what this means and, and how, how it makes a difference in our life. And it really does make a difference in our life today. So let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. And I was telling someone this last week. I mean, you could spend so much time in Hebrews. Every two or three verses could be a sermon. So we're not going to do that for the sake of, of time. But uh, I hope that you do take opportunity to read it when you're at home so that you can get everything out of it. So the author of the book of Hebrews here, he's, let's, I'm just going to go all the way back to one. Uh, he says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect a great salvation? The answer is no, we wouldn't escape. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. And now a scripture for today. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? or the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should be made founder of the salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God has given me. I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil and deliver all who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to make perfect like, this, like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, because he himself has suffered when tempted, 
he is able to help those who are tempted. Let's pray. Father, we thank so much for these words today, and we pray that we can, uh, by looking at them, examining them, thinking them over together, understand what they mean for the people during the time that this was written, but also how it, what it means for us and how it applies to us today, that we might be your people and that people might recognize us for the love that we have for one another and the love that we have for you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, that was quite a mouthful, and I hope you got all of that, right? You got all that and got it down pat. And it, it is hard. In the book of Hebrews, no doubt, there are places where it uses different language. It uses a lot of quotations from the Old Testament, and that's because he's making an appeal to Hebrew people who are familiar with the Old Testament. And so it's going to be difficult at times for us, but if we go slow enough, I think that we can make sense of it. I know that we can make sense of it because God says that we can make sense of it. Now, a foundation of a house must be sound, right? <laughs> I had the opportunity when I was growing up, when I was about 15, 16 years old, just getting my driver's license, of building a house with my dad. So my dad, he was preparing. He was always preparing to retire. As early as I can remember, he'd say, I only have 15 more years to retire. So about seven or eight years before he was ready to retire, we bought some property out in between Robinson and Oblong, out in the country where he always wanted to live. My mom's a city dweller. Dad was a farmer. He wanted to live out in the country, and so he bought this property, and we were going to move out basically in the middle of nowhere. And so I had the opportunity of tearing down an old house that was there on the property, saving the wood. It was going to be the subfloor for our house. And then I got the opportunity of, you know, basically starting from scratch. For the most of the time, it was just me and him doing the work of laying the foundation. And most of you who have done this before, you know, you've got to lay out your pattern with this. We did it with string and then you dig the footer which is below, actually below the foundation blocks. And then you, once you get the footer and it's all set, then you can put blocks on top of that. And it's extremely important for those blocks to be level, right? For them, they, they have to be a variety of different things. They have to not only be level, but they have gotta be plumb, they gotta be straight up and down. And then they've gotta be square with each other. If you wanna have square walls and you want your paneling and everything to fit. And if you don't get it right, which we did, apparently we got it right because that house is still standing today, but if you don't get it right, then years later, your house is going to start to sag, the foundation may crack, uh, walls eventually get, get off uh, kilter, and if you go to remodel, then the drywall doesn't fit properly and you've got to fill in gaps. And that, that's one thing my dad always said about being a carpenter. He said, the best carpenters are the ones who can cover up their mistakes. <laughs> and there's a little bit of truth in that, right? I mean, you always make some mistakes, but uh, if you can cover them up, then, it, then it, that's a sign of a good carpenter. Well, Jesus is the foundation for our salvation, amen? He is the foundation for our, uh, for our salvation. We don't build our house upon the sand, but we build it upon solid rock. All through the Old Testament, God is referred to as a rock, as our foundation. And Jesus is our foundation as well. 
But I think they're just like there's different aspects of a foundation for a house, like the plumb line and the and being square. I think there's different aspects of Jesus as being a foundation for our salvation. And the first one, uh, only two questions on your handout today, but the first one is Jesus, in this first part of these verses we read, secures supremacy for man. So that may sound a little bit different than what you've been thinking about. Is man really supreme? Well, when Jesus is the head of that mankind, that humanity, then mankind is supreme, right? Mankind will have a supreme uh, position in this world that is to come. So let's look back at verse number five. It says, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere and then gives this quote about, uh, about mankind being, uh, why are you mindful of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjective to his feet. Let's just go back to this statement that there is a world that is coming, right? There is a kingdom of God which is going to appear. And if your eschatology, which is just another word for end time thought, is the same of mind, then we understand that there's going to come a time where there's a great tribulation. This is, I, I believe this with all my heart, that we are headed toward that right now, that seven year period of tribulation whereby we have been raptured out of the earth we who are believers in Christ and that leaves people in this earth for a seven year period of time where there will be chaos and terror like there's never been chaos and terror before okay it's a time of judgment upon the earth it's a time of Jacob's trouble the Old Testament calls it where the focus of God will be back on the Jews during that time. And many of the Jews who rejected Jesus in the past will now see him for who he is. They'll understand Jesus did come and die for my sins. And many, many Jews will be saved during that time. So there will be this seven year period and it will be climaxed by uh, Jesus appearing on the Mount of Olives to put down all rebellion against Israel, right? You've heard of the war of Armageddon. That's when this will take place. It won't be much of a war because all of these armies will be assembling against Israel and Jesus will come at that time. He'll come from heaven. We will be with him who have been raptured with him. We will come back with him and with a word of his mouth, he will quell all rebellion and we will have a thousand years of peace on earth. And Jesus, the man, will rule over that thousand-year kingdom. So that's what I mean by man's supremacy will be raised. Uh, it says here clearly in this quotation from the Old Testament, it says that man, why, why are you mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? In other words, God has made man so insignificant compared the rest of creation, why does God even pay any attention to him? And he does because he loves us, right? He loves us and he cares for us and he wants to raise us to a place of supremacy and he does that not through our own works or anything like that, but through his son, Jesus Christ, who is 100% God, but also 100% man, amen? amen? 
100% God. We don't understand that, but he is one person with two, uh, two, char uh, two characteristics, one being divine and one being man. So for a time, we, have, we are lower than the angels, but God's plan for us in verse 7 is that we will be crowned with glory and honor and that at one time, everything will be in subjection under his feet. And so we will, as mankind, be supreme. But that only comes through Jesus Christ. And that's what the, these next verses relate to us. Verse 8 is very interesting. It says, now putting in everything in subjection to him, he has left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. And we have to say, we don't see everything in subjection to man right now, do we? We don't see everything in subjection to Christ right now. But let's, let's look at these next verses. Because verse 9 starts talking about Jesus, right? <laughs> verse 9 starts talking about Jesus and it says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So Jesus, who came, he had very humbly, humbly, hum, humble beginnings in the, guard, in the uh, manger, but he grew up, he suffered, he died on the cross for our sins, and not only died, but rose from the dead on the third day, amen? amen. He rose from the dead on the third day. And so he accomplished everything that God had for him to do, and grace, and God, through his grace, let him test taste death for everyone. And then in verse 10, it says, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should, be, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And so once again, this is speaking about Jesus. It was fitting that he in bringing many sons to glory, that's many people to salvation, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So Jesus was made perfect through suffering, right? And you say, well, hasn't Jesus always been perfect? And that's true, he has always been perfect. <laughs> but there is this suffering that he needed to go through for our sake, right? Not for his sake, not to make him any better, but to make him the perfect sacrifice for us. And that's what he did for us. This is part of God's plan for raising man back up to the supreme position that man should be. But it's only through Jesus Christ that we do that. Jesus himself was created a little lower than the angels for a short period of time. It was God's will to crown him with glory and honor and authority and to be exalted because of his faithfulness to die for our sins and his resurrection from the, from the dead. Now, we mentioned this so many times before, but what's so significant about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It means that his sacrifice on the cross was acceptable to God. It passed the test. If, if Jesus would have had one sin that he didn't pay for, or if he had committed one sin at all, he, would, he could not have been raised from the dead. He would have had to stay in the grave just like everyone else. But he passed the test. And in doing so, he has raised 
the supremacy of man to another level. So, uh, God's plan for Christ to be elevated, to, ele to elevate mankind is very simple. Christ was made a little lower than the angels and tasted death for everyone. After his resurrection, he was exalted and crowned with honor and glory because he was made perfect through his suffering. He showed the very nature of God, and we see that in verse 10. That it was fitting that he for whom uh, and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should be made the made, make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Uh, he is the one to whom all things exist and through whom all things come. And so uh, he shows the very nature by bringing many sons to glory. That's us, right? He came with a purpose to bring many sons to glory uh, by making uh, the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering, and he did that on the cross. Uh, Jesus shared equally with the sanctified. I'm looking at verses 11 through 13 now. I know we're going kind of quick, but let's look at those real quick. It says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing. And again, I will put my trust in him. And so Jesus means to share equally with us, the believers, right? That's those who are sanctified because we have the same father. <laughs> we have the same father. We have the same source. We have the same position in the family of God. We are brothers with each other, sisters with each other. We have the same praise and worship. I will put my trust in him. And so Jesus, by doing all of this, has secured for mankind the supremacy. And I hope that makes sense. But there's one other thing. We've got verses 14 to 18 left real quickly here. Jesus also secures the triumphant victory for man. Aren't you glad that he was victorious? Amen. He came and he was victorious. He came on a mission. He set out to do that mission. He did it for love and for his glory, and he was victorious in that. And he brings victory to us. The good thing about being united with Christ is that everything that is attributed to him is also attributed to us. And so Christ, in these verses, it's demonstrated that he became man's great deliverer. Or another word for that is just savior. He became man's great savior. First of all, he did it by becoming man. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, him, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus had to become a man, right? He had to become a man in order to die for mankind and to be an acceptable substitute for our sin. He died for us, folks. I mean, we say that so many times, I think it becomes almost numbing. 
But if, if you think about someone next to you dying for you, I mean, that would be tremendous. But Scripture says that for Jesus to die for us, and not only us personally, but for all who would come to know him as Lord and Savior, he died for each and every one of them. It's, it's an awesome thing. So let's just stop there and just think about that a little bit, that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, is dying for us. And he, de he does it because we have an, we have an adversary. I saw someone on TV for the first time in a while make reference to Satan. I can't even remember the story, but I was I was glad to see it. It was a actually it was a pastor. I don't know if you saw this on Fox News or not, but it was a pastor's wife. The pastor in Canada had been put in prison basically for preaching the gospel and having services when with COVID and everything going on. And so they had the wife, the pastor's wife on interviewing her. And uh, she was asked the question, well, why do you think this is, why do you think this is happening to your husband? And she didn't blame the people. She blamed the spiritual forces of darkness going on in the background, right? She, she blamed Satan. That Satan is blinding people's eyes that she, he is causing people to be persecuted. And so we need, you know, one of the things we need to do as well is recognize that we are not fighting against each other. <laughs> we should not be fighting against each other. Are we going to have debates? Yes. Are we going to have differences of opinion in politics and religion? Yes, we're going to have differences of opinion. But we're not fighting. We should not be fighting against each other. We should recognize that there are spiritual forces of darkness in realms that we cannot see that are fighting spiritual battles causing all of this that's going on. That doesn't make us guiltless, does it? It doesn't make us innocent. We play a part in it by going along with it. But there is that spiritual forces of darkness that's causing havoc in our world, and it's only going to increase, I believe. It's only going, if we, if we are in the last days and heading toward the tribulation, it's always going to increase. And that's, you know, that's one reason why I think the writer of the book of Hebrews, whoever he was, wanted to prepare these people that you are going to go through persecution. Persecution is not a sign that you're doing something wrong, necessarily, right? Now, you can go rob a bank and you're going to suffer the consequences for it, and you deserve that. But when you do right, this is in 1 Peter, but when you do right and suffer for it, you're not doing wrong. You're just following into the same mold of Jesus, right? Jesus said, they came after me, they're going to come after you. And all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And you thought, I came to hear good news. This is good news. It is, it is good news that if you suffer for the cause of Christ, we should celebrate that. As difficult as it is to go through, the first Christians in the first centuries after Christ, they celebrated and they thought very, they felt very honored to suffer for the cause of Christ. But, but in today's theology, oh, we must be doing something wrong. We better back off. You know, we need to use wisdom in this and not just do things uh, that are risky just because they're risky. 
But if they are God's will, we cannot back away from it. That's exactly, I'll skip a little bit ahead, but that's exactly what he says about being fearful here. Let's see if I can find it. Verse number 15. Well, let's just read 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things and through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death are subject were subject to lifelong slavery. Deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, I don't want to die, but should we be fearful of death? We have no reason to be fearful of death. If, if we die, there's only something better on the other side for us to, to, for us to enjoy. In, the, in other words, he's saying here, death has, is such a fearful prospect for some of you that it has enslaved you and you're afraid to do anything. Is that the way you guys read that? That's the way, that's the way I read that. We're so afraid of dying that it enslaves us and we do not live the Christian life with boldness like we should. And now I'm, you know, I'm not saying that we should take unnecessary risk. Uh, we have a serious disease going on in our country and we need to take proper precaution when it's necessary. But it shouldn't keep us from doing what God wants us to do. It shouldn't keep us from going door to door, for instance, right? We did that yesterday, no problem. You know, we didn't talk to a lot of people. I talked to a friend of Fred Prosser. I talked to Willie Esther yesterday. Is that, like his name right, Fred? Willie Esther? <laughs> he had nothing but good words to say about you. <laughs> so, yeah. But we cannot be so bound by our fear that it keeps us from doing what God has asked us to do. And he did, he did this by dying for us. He destroyed the devil's power over sin and death. He's delivering us from the fear of death and he frees us from the bondage of fear. Secondly, he secures a victory for us by becoming a great high priest. And he'll go into detail in this in a few chapters, but uh, what good is a priest? You know, why, why do I need a priest? Well, we need a priest because we're sinful people and God is holy and we need someone to intercede for us. The, the people in the Old Testament had priests too, right? They would bring their sacrifice to the priest. The priest would take that, slaughter it, present it onto the altar, and that would be the sacrifice. Uh, the only problem with Old Testament priests is they died. And they had their own sin to deal with, right? And we'll, we'll study a lot about this, I think in chapter 7 or 8, something like that. But the priests in the Old Testament had major disadvantages. They had their own sin. They had to offer a sacrifice for their own sin. And then, uh, you know, they, they die. With Jesus, we have someone who intercedes for us forever. He has no sin of his own, therefore... That sacrifice can never be tainted. It lasts forever. Amen. And so we have the right and the freedom to become faithful to God. That's what Jesus did. He was faithful 
to God. That's how he won the victory for man by being faithful and he asked us to be faithful as well. Jesus also secures the triumphant victory through propitiation. <laughs> Is that what your Bible says? Anyone got something different than propitiation? You might have in the old, in the King James, it might say expiation, I'm not sure. Or if you have NIV, it might say atonement. What in the world does propitiation mean? Propitiation means that he averted God's wrath from us. It's a, it's a very serious biblical term. In fact, at one time, uh, people were very upset because the New International Version took out propitiation or expiation is another word for it and put in sacrifice of atonement because they felt like it watered it down. Think about, think about a train coming towards you full force and there's no way you can get away from it and then suddenly someone steps in front of you and takes the full force of that train for you. That's, that gives you an idea of propitiation. That's what Jesus came and did for us. He averted the wrath of God from us so that we could be reconciled with God. It's an amazing thing, right? Amen. Amazing. I mean, you could go home this afternoon and just think about all the good things that God has done for us and be amazed. And that's what this service is about. It's about turning our eyes so much to what Jesus has done. And in our final song, we worship and praise him for all that he has done. Finally, in verse 18, because Jesus himself has suffered and been tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I could preach a whole sermon on that, but each and every one of you has temptations. You know, sometimes they vary from person to person. Most of you probably have one that really nags at you and it's difficult for you to overcome. You are not alone in your fight. You have someone, his name is Jesus, who has suffered. What's that mean? It means that suffered means he tempted, but he didn't give in. We have something who has suffered and tempted just like us and yet he didn't give in and he is able and willing to help us through our temptation. That's very good news for us. We know we've been saved. We know we have the Holy Spirit within us, but maybe it's just me. I, I still have a hard time getting through a day without sinning or having a bad attitude or, or doing something wrong or making someone mad, it seems like. And sometimes you feel like giving up until you realize, hey, Jesus has been through this. I'm sure he wanted to get mad at Peter at times. But he controlled his temper. And because he's able to do that, he's able to help us. So in finishing up today, Jesus is the foundation of our salvation. You should always remember that. It's not works, it's not church attendance, it's not giving, as good as giving is to Annie Armstrong. We do that because we're sinned, not in order to get saved. Jesus is the foundation of our salvation and so we place all of our trust in him. Jesus, he secures, or maybe a better word is restores 
the supremacy for mankind with him being the second Adam. Have you heard that term before? Jesus called the second Adam. Adam was the first Adam. He messed up. There had to be a second Adam who would represent mankind. And Jesus does that and restores, at least in the age to come, the supremacy to man. Jesus secures the triumphant victory for mankind. So because of this, I just wrote down three things for myself to remember. Don't be in bondage to fear and death. You know, I, I want to do what God has asked me to do regardless of the fear of death. I want to, I want to find that, that strength to do that because Christ is my foundation. Be thankful for the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And then finally, turn toward Jesus for help in your time of need. Don't turn back, right? That's, that's the essence of the book of Hebrews. Don't turn back, but turn toward Jesus for your help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your words and the opportunity we've had to go through it. And I thank you for people who are listening. And I pray that this week you would continue to bring these verses to my mind that I might reflect on them, meditate on them, get more out of them. And I pray for the same for others who are here, that this would not just be a message that goes in one ear and, and out the other, but that it resonates with us, that we keep going back to it and looking at certain phrases and wondering what that means and what it means for us. And I believe you'll do a work through us if, if we give you that time to meditate on your word, to do that. There may be people here today who want to give their life to Christ or become members of the church or talk about being scripture baptized. I pray that if they have those questions that they would come forward at the end and, and ask me questions about that. Uh, I pray that if there's one here who needs Christ that they would not put it off. It's so easy to put it off and say, I'll think about that later, or I'll do that later. When the scriptures say that today is the day of salvation, that we should not put that off. And I know in my own testimony, and I'm sure many of the others here today, that to wait one day is to wait one day too long. It's, it's such a blessed relief to know that you're saved and reconciled with God. So if there's one here today who needs salvation, help them to come. Help the rest of us uh, understand that Jesus is our foundation. And we will not be moved if he is our foundation. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.